Hi, I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. This is the week of September 7th, 2020. I'm sure you've heard the old saying, if I had a penny for every time, insert something that happens to you all the time here, I'd be rich. I'm curious how many dollars I might have added to my piggy bank since the beginning of March if I had a penny for every time I had to ask myself, what day is it? What day is it anyways? The concept of time during a pandemic is something new for all of us. Is time flying by? Is it standing still? Everyone is out of what was once their normal routine. It's a little silly to have to question what day it is so often, but I've heard lots of questions over and over again that I never thought we'd be asking until 2020 happened. Here are a few examples. How do I make my own hand sanitizer? Could a bandana double as a face mask? How much is a ring light? Should I cut my own bangs? How can I fix bangs that I cut myself? How long does it take hair to grow back? When was the last time I touched another person? Am I ever going to see my friends again? And I miss my friends. I also miss my social calendar. And I'm the type of person who lived by my social calendar, personal and professional, until we were all staying at home all the time. There are many variables and many unknowns that make planning difficult right now. So let's go to the experts to answer some questions. To help us navigate through these challenging times, we're joined by emergency physician and the medical director for Premier Health EMS Center of Excellence, Dr. Randy Marriott. Dr. Marriott, the days and weeks and months have seemed to run together during the pandemic. It has been a pretty common topic of conversation that most of us are experiencing the feeling of losing track of time and having no sense of a normal routine. What effect can that have on someone's physical and mental health? Well, I'll start with uh, physical health. Obviously, people are not in their normal exercise routines, um, and they are stress eating. Uh, So the commonly heard phrase that you've put on the COVID-10 or the COVID-15 is a real phenomenon. So people are gaining weight. I think they're feeling more sluggish physically. I think it's getting somewhat better. They are able to get into the gyms a little bit more now uh, with certain restrictions. And I think people are taking advantage of other avenues like walking, uh, where they can be out and in the open air and away from people and still get a fair amount of uh, aerobic exercise. So I think that's really what we need to focus on is getting more creative, finding ways to maintain an exercise routine, maintain fitness. It doesn't rely on a commercial uh, facility that's under a certain number of restrictions at this point. Now, the mental side of it, uh, that's very understandable. It's akin to the grieving process where uh, we've had a loss. We've had a loss of our normal lives. And we are going to go through those stages of grieving similar to loss of of a loved loved one, certainly not to the same extent. And I don't mean to equate the two. However, you know, some of the principles are the same. And I think it can lead to some depression. Um, I think it can also, if you've uh, been a COVID victim and been a survivor, there can be a certain amount of post-traumatic stress involved in that, or you've watched a relative go through it, uh, or simply had uh, the fear that they may that they may worsen during that that time. That certainly uh, 
uh, going to have its toll mentally uh, on, on us. And I think the other facet of that is we don't know when this is going to end. Uh, so we don't have a finish line in sight. So I think that is always much more difficult to endure a trial when you don't have a, a, a clear view of when it's going to be over. And we, and, and we do not. So that's where we find ourselves. So I think uh, for those reasons and, and more, this has been both physically and mentally taxing on all of us. You mentioned being out of our workout routines. That is something very relatable for me right now. For people who are not back to the gym, do you have any suggestions for creative workout options? And what are your thoughts about going back to the gym? Walking, any kind of resistance uh, uh, training, I've found that uh, I'm looking for unique positions and ways to do push-ups and other calisthenics around the house. You know, I've rediscovered that I actually do have a pull-up bar in the basement and uh, <laughs> you can do incline exercising and in, in, uh, in, in ways that you, you really didn't uh, think of before. Um, and I think when you feel comfortable uh, getting back into the, to the gym is fine, uh, provided you, you know, maintain social distancing, wear a mask, which I think is appropriate, and and also I think it probably in, increases your aerobic workout. You actually uh, you actually do um, uh, retain a little carbon dioxide, and you and you you have to work a little harder uh, to oxygenate, so there's a little more work of breathing, and so this I think adds to your aerobic workout. So you know you gotta gotta take the positives where where you find them. Um, I've gotten back into uh, the gym a little bit. My my uh, area of uh, of exercise for years has been martial arts. Well, it's very hard to do martial arts and not be in contact with someone. That is, that's kind of the whole point. Okay, social distance uh, in martial arts doesn't doesn't work. Um, but I've found that uh, going in and at least using a bag and being by myself, having a mask, uh, being in a in a corner, even though there's others there, I find that to be a very safe uh, routine. So. Um, and, and it really is all uh, according to your comfort level, but I will tell you there will, there will be people there uh, at the gyms who are not socially distancing, who are not wearing masks, who are totally disregarding the danger uh, and the potential of becoming ill, uh, which is still unacceptably high to not be social distancing and not be wearing a mask, but you really have to be careful not to be, uh, not to be uh, brought into to, to that uh, behavior and uh, and end up uh, risk uh, illness. So that's that's my my take on it. And I think if you look around your home, if you think about where you normally work out, uh, again with a little bit of creativity, I think you can find that there are ways to maintain fitness. I too have been dusting off some at home workout equipment that I completely forgot I had, and I've been trying to make exercise a part of my daily routine again. I also recently dusted off a pretty dress and some shoes so I could be publicly presentable for a friend's wedding. With fall being a busy time of year for weddings, what would you recommend to couples hosting weddings and what would you recommend if you're an invited guest of a wedding in the midst of a pandemic? Well, it depends on the venue. Many of the venues are under state restrictions and are following them closely because they don't want to be shut down, obviously. Um, and then uh, couples have chosen to add some other uh, precautions as well. Uh, I attended a, a wedding last weekend, as a matter of fact, uh, in which um, some of the participants and some of the guests were wearing masks and others were, were not. One of the advantages 
uh, was that the ceremony was outdoors with a little bit of breeze that adds a safety factor. Uh, the tables were segregated, obviously, to, and they tried to maintain families at each table. Um, and there were less than 10 at each table, which was roughly following uh, state guidelines. Uh, I wore my mask the entire time, as, as did the rest of my family when we weren't uh, cohorted at our own table, uh, not eating. Uh, and I think that's the safest way to do it. They also had armbands that kind of indicated someone's uh, degree of comfort. Um, whereas, uh, if you could wear a red armband, it meant stop, don't, you know, don't, don't, uh, get too close. Uh, green was, um, I don't care, which, you know, I, I didn't like that option, obviously. And then there was a, a, a yellow armband meant that I'm somewhere in the, in the middle. The problem with weddings is, and, and, uh, and this one was no exception, uh, that as the, as the reception, uh, rolls on into the evening. Uh, people have had more alcohol, they've become more uh, relaxed. Uh, the social distancing breaks down completely. Uh, when, uh, when, the, when the dance floor is full, um, yeah, clearly there was an opportunity there for people to, um, to uh, become in, in, infected. The very next day, there was a story out of Maine, you may have seen, uh, large wedding reception and over 120 People infected and one death uh, two to three weeks after that uh, that wedding uh, ceremony and reception. So, again, this is not the time to let our guards uh, down with with wet weddings. It's in, you know people people need to uh, to have the ceremony. We need to support them, but it can be done in a way that is uh, that is uh, uh, a reasonable compromise for everyone's safety. Another big event for fall is heading back to school. This school year, many children have been missing wellness visits and scheduled vaccines during the disruption of the pandemic. Can you talk about that as well as what healthcare advice do you have for parents of kids who are going back into the classroom? And what advice do you have for parents of kids who will be learning online from home? Well, the, the I'll, I'll deal with the online learning uh, learning first. Uh, it's 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 difficult if if I think a parent has never had any homeschooling experience uh, to really have a routine down um, and to maintain discipline and so forth. But I think that's that's the first that's the first step is is decide what the schedule will be and stick to it. Um, and I know schools are insisting uh, that uh, the students be held to a certain schedule as as well. So maintaining that that uh, that regimen is 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 important. Uh, we've we do know that at least at the high school level, uh, they are enforcing attendance online. Uh, in fact, we had a, an unfortunate case uh, where uh, uh, a student ended up in the emergency department uh, after having been found not to be um, online and in attendance. And uh, the school resource officer was actually sent to, to enforce that. So uh, <laughs> for your high school students, I don't think you're going to have a choice on on, on that. Uh, elementary students, a little bit uh, more flexible, I'm sure. But again, maintaining that structure, I think, is going to be important. Um, and, you know, the socialization, obviously, is a concern. Um, you have to balance that with the risk of the disease itself. And we are finding, as the weeks and months go on, that more and more younger uh, individuals are becoming infected. Are, are now being found to be positive, though maybe minimally or not symptomatic. And that, uh, though, is an opportunity for them to give the virus to other people 
people that may be more susceptible, that may have uh, a higher risk of complications. So uh, we're seeing this in younger and younger ages, and uh, the complications are going up for them as well. So uh, the decisions uh, that are made by the school districts are extremely difficult. Uh, but I think it, if they uh, do this based on the, on the science, uh, the, the socialization, I think, will, will, will take care of itself. Uh, fortunately, we live in a time when they have the ability uh, to have social media, supervise social media, obviously, and, 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 and communication with their friends uh, outside of school in, in a way that we never had. And it is, I think, going to maintain that socialization. So I'd be less worried about that and more worried about the health consequences. And again, uh, like everything, uh, we need a, a balance between, the, between those two priorities. So. And Dr. Marriott, do you have any tips for someone that would be going back into a classroom setting at any age? So any tips for students or teachers? Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a it's a difficult uh, subject and it's evolving, as I've said, uh, you know, a, a month or two ago when we were discussing uh, return to school and what the classroom would look like and what precautions would be taken. There wasn't a whole lot of concern uh, being given to students giving the virus to one another. It was more a concern of the adults that they were in contact with and the teachers and other staff. And, you know, we'll keep the teacher back. We'll put a shield on the, on the, you know, the teacher and so forth. Um, now, as the demographics seem to be changing somewhat, now I would be more concerned about actual sharing of the virus among uh, the students. And if the school requires masks, then I would main, maintain masks. I would maintain as much uh, social distancing as is mandated, and uh, they will likely, and I think they have, um, engineered the classrooms to maintain more social distancing. Those who have returned, and they're they're enforcing mask use, and I, I think those are those are necessary uh, steps. And I, and as a parent, I, I I would not resist that. I would I would welcome that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Dr. Marriott is going to talk with us about some recent developments and what we thought we knew about COVID-19. We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now, but behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, We'll be here, standing strong, because it's who we are, and care is behind everything we do. Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. Dr. Marriott, while this was never a proven fact, it was a widely accepted idea that once you became infected with COVID-19, you could not be reinfected. We've seen recently in Hong Kong claims to have the first evidence of someone being reinfected with COVID-19. And shortly after that, a 25-year-old Nevada man appeared to be the first documented case of reinfection in the U.S. What are your thoughts on these new developments, and will this affect the development of a vaccine in any way? Well, uh, if, if we go to uh, the more uh, traditional infectious diseases that, that we grew up with, uh, chickenpox, etc., it, it was always felt, for instance, that it gave lifelong um, immunity once once you had uh, one episode, but there's been many many documented cases of recurring episodes, uh, and uh, so 
it, that's true of any disease. Uh, you're going to have exceptions. This this disease is, is being very, very closely monitored and, and, and studied. So finding people that have had recurring episodes uh, doesn't surprise me. And I'm not sure that uh, that it's going to change anything in relation to the, to the vaccine. Um, we never knew or never assumed that infection uh, with COVID-19 uh, once would uh, would give lifelong Im immunity or even even a substantial period of immunity. So that was never never a fact and evidence. So um, the fact that we're seeing these recurring cases is is not surprising. How common they will be, we still don't know. Uh, how infectious that person is the second time, in other words, what is their viral load, and and what is the uh, degree of uh, a virus in their droplets so how infectious are they the second time around and how severe will that disease be for them the second time around i think most people would uh, would assume it'd be less severe and that they would be less infectious because they do have some degree of antibody already from the first infection again these are these are uh questions that we don't have clear answers to and may not uh, for some time now I'm an emergency physician and, and certainly not an immunologist, certainly not an infectious disease specialist and have nothing to do with either the development or testing of vaccines. However, that being said, I do know that the, the uh, modern vaccine techniques are, are, are not what they were many decades ago where you're giving either a, a weakened live or a killed uh, form of the virus to induce an antibody response. That was the old principle. Now they're actually uh, giving uh, injections of messenger RNA uh, that codes for proteins and it goes directly into our cells and codes for the antibodies without ever having um, exposure to the virus itself. Uh, so just incredible, uh, incredible uh, biotechnology. I don't know that, that, that those techniques are going to be hindered by the fact some people have had re uh, reoccurring disease. Uh, I still think that uh, that the vaccine uh, development will go forward unhindered, and the mark of success of the vaccine is not 100% immunity. Um, I think we would accept a much lower rate. In fact, there have been many vaccines on the market that maybe were 50% effective, and they were still felt to be valuable. Uh, the original uh, immunization for uh, shingles or herpes zoster was roughly 50% effective, but that was felt to be uh, of enough benefit to the uh, to a to a patient, it was it was worth uh, worth worth doing. So um, even if we have a even if we have a a COVID virus vaccine that is is far less than 100 percent effective, it'll help us get to that herd immunity that we that we need. So again, I, I um, you know it's it's interesting news, and uh, you know I I have you know some some concern about it, but uh, I think we'll go forward with vaccine. Yes, this is probably an important reminder to those who have had COVID-19 and may have been under the misconception that they were now immune, that you still need to wear your mask and to continue to stay safe. That's a great point. And, and we have always been giving that advice. Uh, and that is that do not assume, particularly healthcare workers and uh, EMS providers uh, in, in the field, they may have had a documented case, but we still 
advise that they take the same precautions ongoing uh, after they've had either a presumed or documented case than they did prior. So yes, we're not letting our guard down simply because someone has had a documented case. And in more recent news, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention changed its COVID-19 testing guidelines to say some people without symptoms may not need to be tested even if they've been in close contact with someone known to have the virus. What is the significance to testing asymptomatic patients? It's a great question and a complicated subject, <laughs> complicated point, uh, and one of which we've, with which we've wrestled with now for all these months. First of all, because a person has a negative test today does not mean they will have a ne- negative test uh, 48 hours from that point, uh, 72 hours a week late, later. So I think it gives a false sense of security when you have an asymptomatic patient who then has a negative test, not really sure what that means. And unfortunately, we've had employers um, who insist on a negative test or facilities that have insisted on a negative test before they receive a patient. Um, And that's all well and good. Um, That's part of universal screening. We do that at Premier Health and and there's value to that. However, uh, you have to bear in mind that they develop symptoms later uh, that are consistent with COVID-19, they need to be isolated and retested. It's not a, it's, and it's not a get out of mask free card. That's the other, that's the other point. People will have a test. They will be found to be negative And they believe at that point, then they're no longer a danger to anyone, uh, or other people are no longer a danger to them. What, whatever is going through their, their head and they stop wearing a mask. They stop social distancing. And so that's one of the risks of testing asymptomatic patients is we're giving them that false sense of security. Now, the flip side of that is universal screening for hospital admissions, such as we're doing in Premier Health, and screening of potential contacts of known COVID-positive patients in the community allows us to identify people who may be asymptomatic carriers and, and have have the virus in their nasal passages and not show symptoms, identify them early and isolate them. So there is a, there is a disease uh, control. There is, a, there is a, a, a uh, true advantage to knowing that ahead of time. If someone is positive uh, in the hospital, we've had them. We've had several cases. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would have to say at this point, this many months into it, we've had tens of cases of people who've been brought into the hospital for one reason or another unrelated to COVID who have been found to have had a positive test. Some of those could be false positives, but I suspect not. I suspect that's a very small number. I, most of them are probably true positives who had exposure and, and really either minimal or no symptoms. And we don't know the extent of the asymptomatic individuals who are, who are positive. Uh, and we don't know the extent of which they can spread the disease. Although we do believe that there's a period before symptoms where they may have a very significant uh, chance of spreading that. And they may, there may be uh, people who were the so-called super spreaders uh, that, have, that go into social situations before they're symptomatic and infect a lot of people. So it, it, it really is a, a paradox. Um, at one point early in, in the uh, pandemic, we just didn't have the resources to test asymptomatic people. We didn't have the test kits. They just didn't exist. We were waiting days and weeks to get people 
tested in the hospital. We certainly couldn't have used those test kits on asymptomatic patients. Um, so yeah, it is. it has to be done strategically and it has to be done with a lot of counseling in my opinion, uh, because a, a, a negative COVID test is has limited value in a single individual and it cannot be used to um, uh, let down their guard to to not wear a mask and these and all these other uh, possibilities it's, it, that that will that will backfire. I'll give you an example of a of, of a recent um, situation where we felt asymptomatic testing was warranted. Um, I'm also affiliated with Ohio Task Force One, which is the FEMA Urban Search and Rescue Task Force that's based here in in, in Dayton. Um, they are right now in Louisiana, they're actually being demobilized uh, and, and on their way back uh, as of uh, as of September 1st. However, they went down for, for Hurricane Laura and we tested 80 uh, plus members of that group before they before they left uh, left Dayton. Problem there was we were putting these rescuers into vehicles for a 12 hour trip. And then they were going to have to be housed in uh, in schools and other facilities and tents and so forth where they're in close contact. Um, and knowing ahead of time if anyone was an asymptomatic uh, infected individual would have saved a catastrophe. Um, but but we were very uh, adamant, and the task force leaders maintained. Uh, discipline in terms of you must still wear a mask, must still social distance, regardless of a negative test. Again, not a get out of mask free card. And uh, when uh, when that that was done, we we did add though a, a uh, an element of safety to to that rescue rescue group. So uh, there are times when that is appropriate, but again, it's with several caveats and the person. Uh, receiving the test, it's not uh, symptomatic. Has to have the appropriate counseling. I would say, for the most part, it's 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 probably not for everyone, and it certainly shouldn't be at an employer's assistant uh, insistence that doesn't understand the medical implications. I know that we could probably spend this entire episode going over the ins and outs of testing. There was a recent announcement that there will be 150 million rapid COVID-19 tests purchased by the White House. While we don't know where and when those will be deployed, the company that produced this test says you can get results in 15 minutes without a lab. What do we know about the accuracy of this type of test, and what are your overall thoughts on this? Well, again, it really is kind of the same question in terms of what's better. Do we do a lot of tests? Do we shotgun with the test and, and try to identify as many of these asymptomatic uh, infected individuals as possible so that we can isolate them and uh, bring about some disease control? That's the thought, okay? Uh, or do we risk behavior modification in those who have a negative test and then feel that that they can act with impunity? That's That, again, is the paradox in my mind. Um, and though um, overall, in certain situations, I think more knowledge is better than less, provided it is it is explained appropriately, and the patients receiving the negative test have the appropriate counseling. 
I think more testing is better than no testing overall. Um, the accuracy of the test, um, I, I think there are some concerns there. And it is not going to be as accurate as a, as a PCR. An antibody test or antigen test, rather, is an antibody testing is an entirely other uh, topic. But antigen testing versus PCR testing, again, it's not going to be as accurate. But again, availability sounds like it can, they're, they're considering ones that could be done at home. Um, and it, it may have, it may have uh, some, uh, some effect in helping to control the disease. I think that remains to be seen. And I'm not sure that we have a real model uh, that, that we can uh, base conclusions upon or, or predictions uh, upon. I know there are home HIV tests and other infectious disease tests. Again, but those have not been done in, uh, in nearly the numbers uh, as this test will be performed. So it, it, it's really hard to, hard to say. I'll say this, uh, when discussing asymptomatic testing, when discussing antigen tests versus PCR, the overriding principle in my mind is if someone has been exposed to a COVID positive individual and they are at high risk for developing COVID-19 and spreading it, they should quarantine, regardless of what test result uh, they receive, because a, a, a negative test early on after exposure essentially means nothing. So they really need to behave as if they're potentially infected, they are potentially infectious, and quarantine for 14 days. I know that's difficult. I know that's, uh, from uh, a workforce point of view, that's that's a uh, a difficult uh, goal to accomplish, but I think it's important. I think it's important that people not take an early negative test as a sign that they may not be a danger to other people. Dr. Marriott, what is one last piece of advice that you'd like to share with listeners? Get a flu shot. Okay. If you've ever considered getting a flu shot or considered not getting a flu shot, you know, this is the year to get the shot. Okay. As the flu season uh, is more rapidly approaching than, than we would all like to admit, we're going to have a problem because we're going to have an overlap of symptoms. Uh, fever, cough, body ache are common to both diseases, COVID-19 and, and influenza. The more we can control flu, the more we'll control COVID. The two go hand in hand. And we'll get to a point here in a few weeks um, you know, a, a short number of weeks uh, where we're going to have to start testing for both. Um, and then, of course, the supplies of influenza test kits, I don't know what that looks like. And I, I hope that that's uh, a supply chain we're able to maintain as well, because we're going to have to be able to identify both. The more we can control that disease, that being flu, the better off we'll be. So get your, get your flu shot. Thank you so much, Dr. Marriott. So for all you agenda-loving people out there, I say grab your planner or your smartphone and start utilizing your calendars again if that's something that you like to do. It's okay that they may not be jam-packed with your typical appointments, but planning allows a sense of routine and normalcy even when nothing else feels that way. And if you're not a calendar person, try making a plan for your day with a to-do list. It's an easy way to manage your time, stay productive, and feel motivated. 
And just a suggestion, but this might be a great spot to jot down what day it is. Schedule your at-home gym sessions, even if they're with yourself. Add a bullet point to your to-do list to talk to your kids and remind them that everyone is trying their best right now. Schedule a video call with someone you miss or call someone you simply want to check in on. Nothing beats human interaction, even if it's just the sound of your voice or the sight of someone you care about on a screen. Maybe add quarantine dance-off with the kiddos to that to-do list of yours and listen. It's fine. They're going to win because kids are usually really amazing dancers who don't hold back any of their sweet dance moves, and even if they're not, they're just so darn cute and they get extra points for that. So just have fun, but know that going in. And hey, it's totally fine if you want to schedule time for a small smile break, because you know what? You deserve it. So whether you feel like the clock is moving quickly or slowly, remember, we are all in this together. And every step along your journey, our care lives right beside you. You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com COVID-19. This has been Premier Health Now, on air. COVID-19 edition. A Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.